Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I am free today. So Brittany is going to a funeral this morning, so I am free to tell all sorts of stories to you about her since she's not with us here this morning. And I know, you know, what is said in church stays in church, right? Right? So she's gone today, uh, this afternoon. Uh, the kids are with her, so that means I get to take a good nap this afternoon. But in two weeks, uh, she's actually going to go out of town. And there's a point for me telling you this. Uh, in two weeks, she'll, she's taking a short trip uh, to North Carolina uh, to, to visit her sister up there. And so I'll have the kids, and I, it's my job to feed them for several days. Okay? But I want you to know, I want you to know, I'm an expert in the kitchen. I really am. I'm an expert. You, I know I don't look like it, but I am truly an expert. I can cook all sorts of things, ranging from tacos to hamburgers to cereal to frozen pizza. I can do it all. I can do it all. The passage we're looking at today is about salt. And we usually think about salt as uh, something that gives flavor. And of course, in our culture today, you see salt alongside pepper. So a few months ago, I was in one of those cooking moods, and I decided, you know, dear, I, I'm going to cook enchiladas for us tonight. You know, one of my few things that I can actually prepare. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm browning the, the meat, and I'm, I'm adding spices to it, and I, I go to get the pepper, and I start to, to, to you know, shake the pepper into it, the, you know, and it has several openings on it. Well, when I did that, the whole cap just came off, and I dumped like half the pepper into the meat. So what do I do? Now, most, most of you, if you're any good at cooking, you would, have, you would just throw it all out and start over. Well, that's not what I did. What I decided to do was I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of mix it in here real good and just hope that nobody notices my mistake. So my thought, just go with it, nobody's going to notice it. Well, they noticed. In fact, if we don't have a dog, but if we had a dog, I'm sure our dog wouldn't have even eaten it. What came out was inedible, and we ended up just throwing it away. Uh, now, the point behind all of that is we, we need spices, don't we? In fact, most people, when you're tasting a dish, you, you notice when there aren't any spices. Or in my case, you notice when there's too much, too many spices. But spices are essential for us, and we notice them in their absence. In this passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus is highlighting that His followers are to be salt. His followers are to be light to the world. In other words, His followers are to live in such a way uh, that reflects God's holiness and draws others to Him. And the same goes for us here today. That's, that's the point we draw from this as well. That we, if we're in Christ here today, we are called to do the same thing. We are called to live pure lives that reflect God's character. Why? So that other people will be drawn to Him. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt lost its taste, or salt loses its saltiness, how shall it, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that, that we would put ourselves under its teaching, that we would see it as our authority this morning, and that we, would, that we would humbly seek for you to show us where we might change. Lord, this morning we need a word from heaven. Lord, thank you that you're not silent. Thank you that, that you don't just sit back in silence and let us do our own thing, but Lord, you come and you speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, as we study it this morning, I pray that you would make us more faithful as we live the calling that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus tells us that we are two things. We are salt and we're light. First of all, he says that we're salt. And the idea there is that we should live pure lives. We should live pure lives he starts by saying, you are the salt. Well, what does he mean by salt? What does he mean by that? Well, salt has uh, several uses in the first century. It's primarily used as a spice, just like we use it today. But the second thing it's used for is a purifying agent, a preservative. You know, now we have refrigeration, we have all these things. Back then, there was none of that. They would use salt to preserve their food. In fact, it was so necessary and it was so needed as a preservative that they couldn't live without it. Ancient Jewish wisdom literature says of it, the world could not endure without salt. We've got to have it. The first century absolutely had to have it. And since it's used as a preservative, this is Jesus' point. His point is that His followers are to be purifying agents of the world around us. In other words, Jesus is not saying, you go live under a rock somewhere, you go you know, live in a holy huddle. He's saying, no, you go out into the world and preserve it. Live as purifying agents of it. Influence it. And so, indirectly, He's calling us to Get out of the church walls and go and live in the world as His followers. Through our service, through our good works, we're supposed to make the world a better place. That's the bottom line of it. That's what He means when He says, you are the salt. You are the salt. Now listen, the world doesn't need new ideas and new programs. The world doesn't need all of these you know, people to come in, these philosophies and all of these things to come in and try to make people's lives better. Because the problem with the world is actually sin. 
mankind is full of depravity and the world is plunged into darkness because of our depravity, because of our sin, because of our rebellion. And so therefore, all of these programs and all of these things that that people put out there and say, this is going to solve all the problems, it's not going to work. We put forth social programs, we put forth government programs because we want to make the lives of people better. We want to make the world a better place. And and Jesus is implying that's not going to work. The only thing that does work is actually something that remedies the problem. And the problem is sin. So God sent the remedy into the world. God sent His Son Jesus... And He lived a perfect life. Unlike us, He lived a life that is without sin. And then He died a death that He did not deserve to die. Perfectly innocent, yet He died for crimes of others. And when God looked upon Jesus' death, here's, here's what happens. God said, He is dying as a substitute for my people. In other words... As Jesus died, He took on the sin of other people so that those who come to Him and cling to Him and trust in Him in faith and repentance, they can truly be rid of sin. Now, that we're still going to struggle with it. We know that. We're still going to fight it, but the powerful, transforming work of Christ is working in Christians' lives so that we can truly be delivered from sin. And so, the salt that the world needs, the thing that the world needs, is the gospel. It's the only thing that is going to fix the problem that the world has. It's not going to be programs. It's not going to be philosophies. It's not going to be all these other things. The gospel, listen, the gospel and its transforming work in our lives is the only hope that the world has. It's the only thing that's going to make the world a better place. The world doesn't need all these other things. The world needs more salt. They need the gospel. Notice, Jesus says, you are the salt. And in fact, the word that he uses there is actually, he's putting emphasis on the you. In other words, he's saying, you and only you. There's nothing else he's saying. My people, my disciples going out in the world. Only them. They are the only way that the world will be made better. That the world will be improved. Listen. If we carry the only message that can truly benefit the world. Then the only tragedy would be anything that prevents salt from doing its work. If the world needs salt, if if we are the salt of the world, the only thing that would be a true tragedy is if something prevents the salt from doing its work. And that's where Jesus goes next. Jesus turns His attention not just to telling us that we're the salt of the earth. Look at what He says. If the salt has lost its taste. Or I love the way the NIV puts it. If the salt loses its saltiness. Jesus is asking a question. What if salt could lose its benefits? 
What if salt could lose its effects? What if salt could lose its ability to preserve? What if it lost its taste? Now, I'm certainly no chemist here, but I do know, I did pay attention long enough in chemistry class to know that uh, sodium chloride will always be sodium chloride, that it, it carries certain traits that salt is chemically impossible for it to lose its saltiness. It's like water is wet. You know, fire is hot just by its nature. Salt is salty. But Jesus knew of, of something, and, and it was very common in the first century, a way that salt could be rendered ineffective. And it was by being mixed with impurities. In the first century, what would happen is they would go and they would, they would take salt, and a lot of times it would be from the Dead Sea because you know, it's so salty, and there would be lots of gypsum. And the salt and the gypsum would mix together. And, and when, it, when that would happen, when they would mix together, the salt would become bitter and it would be unable to be used as a preservative. And so as a family, they would, you know, if a family got salt and they went to taste it and it tasted bitter, they knew that this is contaminated salt. It's been contaminated with gypsum. And here's the catch. There was nothing they could do about it. Now, I know in, in our modern world, there's so many things that we can do. We've created so many innovations. But back then, they had no way to separate salt and gypsum. So if it was contaminated, it just was. The only thing, listen, that they could do with it is throw it out. Throw it out. But here's the catch. You throw out that contaminated salt, they actually tell us that it was poisonous to plants... And it would harm the soil. You throw out salt, that's going to happen. That soil is not going to be good for anything. And so they wouldn't just throw it out anywhere. They would throw it out in places where they didn't want plants growing anyways, like on a path. And the only thing that would happen to that salt, once it's thrown out on the path, is it would just get stepped on. It would get trampled on. And we see Jesus' point, don't we? If we're the salt of the earth, the one thing that will prevent us from doing our work, the one, one thing that will hinder us from bringing the transforming message of the gospel to the world is us being mixed with impurities. Our salt will lose the saltiness. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm a follower of Christ. The question I have for you this morning is, are you pure salt or are you salt mixed with gypsum? Are you salt mixed with impurities? You know, there are many, possibly even many here, there are many people today that think that they can have God, that they can say, I'm following God, I, I, I want to follow Him, I want to treasure Him. But at the same time, they say, but I still I want to look like the world, I still want to treasure my sin, I still want to follow the world. And here Jesus is making it very clear, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that I'm going to follow God, yes, and at the same time, I'm going to look exactly like the world. The Apostle James says it this way. He says, Whoever makes himself a friend 
of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? He's making it clear. We as Christians, if you're a Christian here, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that I'm a new creature in Christ and at the same time I'm still going to live in my old patterns of sin. I'm still going to look exactly like the world. He's saying that we must be pure But church, we as a church, not only should we be pure, but we should be salt in our community. In other words, we should be benefiting our community. We, through our our service, should make a difference. I mean, in the first century, the gospel turned the world upside down. Why did it do it? It turned the world upside down because Jesus' people were being salt. They were pursuing purity that comes only through God's help. They were letting the gospel transform their lives and then they were going and taking that out into the world and serving their communities. Church, listen, if we're going to be salt in our community, the question that I have for you this morning, just very bluntly, very honestly, is our community better because we're here? Is our community better because we're here? Is our community better fed because we're here? Is our community uh, better off in life because the church is here? And if we answer the question no, we ought to go back and reevaluate what we're doing. Does the community see the light of the gospel because of us? Or if we just closed our doors, would they even miss us? They even notice that we're gone. Jesus tells us that we are salt. That we're the salt of the world. We should live pure lives, unmixed with the world, unmixed with our old patterns of sin. But he uses a second image to show what happens when we become salt in public. He tells us that not only are we salt, But we're light. We're light. In other words, our gospel-transformed lives should draw others to Christ. Now, notice our gospel-transformed lives. We're not able to be pure and righteous on our own. You know, the Bible is not saying, hey, you go out and just try harder to be a good person, to do good deeds. No, we need God to do that in us. We need God to work in us. We need Him to transform our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit's help to come and enable us to do these things. But now He turns His attention to, to not just being pure, not just being righteous, but now He says, but now you need to be a light for the world to see. In other words, we're not to be people who hunker down in our holy huddles, but we're to be people who go in as salt into the world. So what does he mean by light? What does he mean by light? He says there in verse 14, you're the light of the world. In the Old Testament, light symbolized several things. It symbolized God's instruction, His hope, righteousness, salvation. But specifically in Isaiah, 
And Matthew, the, the gospel writer Matthew, quotes from Isaiah quite frequently. In Isaiah, light takes on a slightly different nuance. Isaiah describes light as the Messiah and His people coming, lighting up the world and drawing others into worshiping God. That's why the Gospel writer John talks about Jesus as the light of the world. So Jesus is seeing Himself in the same way that Isaiah paints Him as the light and His people as the light. And He's drawing others to worship God. So basically, in essence, what He's telling us is that we are to live a life, a gospel-transformed life, that takes people who are far from God and draws them near to God. Or like the song that we just sang before I came up, let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story, be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. That's what Jesus is getting at here when He uses the imagery of light. But notice, just like with salt, He uses an emphatic you In other words, you and you only are the light of the world. In other words, there is nothing else that can shine light quite like Jesus and His people can. There's no one else that can bring light to the world except for this gospel And it doesn't matter if it's our government. Democracy is not the light. Our government, it's not the light. Republicanism is not the light. The democratic, it's not the light. Donald Trump is not the light. Social programs, people having more money, that's not the light. That's not what is going to truly impact the world. But Jesus is saying, When my people go and they put their lives on display for the world, both in word and in deed, then people will see the light. That is the light that the world needs to see. And that is a light that only you and I, if we're Christians, can shine to the world. So what we hold out to people is not all of these things as good as they might be, but we hold out to them the gospel And we don't just hold the gospel out to them as just some new idea. We hold our lives out and say, "This is look at what it's doing in my life. In other words, you don't have to just take my word that the gospel is working. Look at me. It's at work in my life. Man, look at what I used to be. Look at what I am now. Jesus says that we're the light of the world. But notice what He says next. He says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, a true disciple cannot hide the work of the gospel in their lives. We can't hide the righteousness that the gospel is producing in us. We can't can't hide the change. Notice he doesn't say that a city on a hill should not be hidden. That would be nice. But he says, it cannot. It's not possible. You couldn't do it if you tried. Think about it. The Holy, if the Holy Spirit is transforming us, 
if He's really doing this work inside of us, if we're followers of Christ, then it is impossible for us not to be changed. And so I want you to, to hear me and hear me well. This has a huge implication for us this morning. That means if we live lives that show no change, then perhaps we've never been changed. Perhaps we've never truly come to know Christ. So that means if you're here this morning and, and for you, you look at your life before you knew Christ, you look at your life now and there's really not a whole lot of difference. You haven't been growing in holiness. You haven't been growing in righteousness. Perhaps it's because you never had that encounter with Christ. I mean, just think about it. Like, if I came in here late one Sunday morning and I showed up, I don't know, like halfway through the service, and I mean, my, my shirt's torn to shreds, and, you know, I'm just looking raggedy, and, and, you know, I come running up here to the platform, and I'm just like, I'm so sorry that I'm late. You know, you're going to look at me, and you're going to be like, What happened? Well, you know, I, I, was, I ran to town real quick before the service, and, and I was driving back, and, um, you know, I stopped on the side of the road to change a flat tire, and then just out, out of the nowhere, a huge log truck flying down 118 going 120 miles an hour, because you know that they do, <laughs> ran me over right in the middle of the highway, and that's why I'm late today. You would look at me and say, you're a liar. Why? Because it is impossible for me to encounter something as big as a log truck and not be changed. Not be squished. Not be dead. My question for you today is what's bigger? A log truck or God? And yet we say, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, do you follow Jesus? Uh, have, you, have you been growing in holiness? Well, not, not really. Have you been seeking the things of the Lord? How is that even possible? You don't know the same Jesus that I know because He transforms us so completely that there is a drastic change. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect because we're not. But when we encounter the true and living holy God, and when He saves us by His grace alone, not from any work that we have done, not from our trying harder, but just simply saves us on the basis of what Jesus did at the cross, there has got to be a change in us. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. But not only that, this light that we shine forth, not only can it not be hidden, but it's intended for the whole world to see. Notice what he says. Jesus goes on and he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. That'd be a waste of oil, a waste of a wick. But what do they do with it instead? You put it up on a lampstand where it gives light to the whole house. You look at the lights in a room, they're on the ceiling. Why? Because they're in a place where they can give as much light as possible. That's what light does. When you light a lamp, you put it in a place where it can give the most possible light. And Jesus is saying, that is us in the world. We're not to 
to be a, a, a city of light that's hidden, but we're to be a city of light up on a hill where it shines and where we try as hard as we possibly can to see as many as we possibly can see the light of Christ. In other words, we need to put the gospel in our lives on display for as many to see as possibly can. For our community to see, for our parish to see, for our state to see, indeed for the whole world to see. So Jesus makes his point. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others. Your light, not that we produce it, but Christ's transforming light shines through us. Let your light shine before others. His transforming work in us is being done on the stage of the entire world. This means that we should be constantly serving and working to, to serve the world around us. Where, does the, where do these good works come from? This is so important. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, so that they may see your good works and glorify you. So they may see your good works and think, man, that's a really religious, pious person right there. It's a good guy. It's a good lady right there. No, what does he say? He says, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In other words, Jesus is, is, showing, is showing that the, the whole result of this goes to glorify God. The whole idea is us being light for a purpose so that others may see and come to know God. But that also tells us that the works that we are doing don't come from within. We don't get the credit for them, do we? God gets the credit because He is the one that's bringing them about. That's so important for us to know because a lot of times we get discouraged. We just, I mean, how am I supposed to go do good works? I know what I'm, I know the bad that I'm capable of. I know my, my, my problems, my hang-ups. I know the things that I struggle with. How am I supposed to go and be a light to the world? If I'm going to go out there, I'm going to be a complete failure. If I go out there, people are going to see my anger issues and they're, they're just not going to want, they're not going to listen to me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when people see us, they should see the character of God. They should see God working in us so that it's clear to everybody, that person right there, I know that's, that can't be them doing that. That's got to be the Lord at work. He gets the credit. It's His works. And so therefore, we should seek His help as we go and do this. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need His help to come in and shape us so that we can do these things. You know, when I, I think about our children, I, I don't think there's a single parent or grandparent alive that enjoys seeing their children fail in, in any regard. Right? You know, we see parents and, you know, we see their, their children succeeding or grandparents seeing their grandkids succeed and you, you almost see them on the sidelines going, yeah, that's my boy! That's my girl! Why do we do that? Why do we, why are we, why do we want to see our children succeed so much? Now, there's a lot of reasons, I know, but I, I think one of them is and it may be a little selfish for us. We want to see our kids succeed because it reflects back on us, doesn't it? 
And vice versa, we, we think that if they fail, that also reflects poorly on us. Well, why do we think that? We think it because as we send out our children into the world, as we send them on their way, they carry with them our raising, our upbringing that we give them. They carry with them our DNA. They carry with them the essence of what makes us who we are. And so we want to see them succeed. Listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, that means you are a child of God. That means that that you have His DNA. That's why we, we talk about the new birth. We say being born again because we're saying when we accept Christ, when, we, when He saves us, we get part of Him inside of us. We get the Holy Spirit. And so God wants to see us go out and transform the, work, the world with our good works, with our testimony, because He gets the glory from it. He gets the glory from it. He tells us that we should live that way as light in the world. Let our lights shine. Are we living our lives in a way that other people can see our works and glorify God? Or maybe, let me put it a different way. When people look at our lives... Do they see God? Do they see God at work? Or are we hindering the message that we so desperately want to proclaim? Is our light shining? Are we as a church living that out in the community? Are we as a church trying to be light to the community? If we're truly being faithful, it would be impossible. It would be impossible for anyone around our church to miss the light. I don't know, I'm saying that they'll all accept it, but it's, it would be impossible for someone to go without seeing it. But I wonder how many people in our community are missed because we hide our light. Because we're focused on other things that are too important. Or maybe even worse, we hide our light because we think that some people just don't deserve it. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They don't deserve the light. Yeah, I would go down there, but then that means that kind of per- that person, they, they might come to our church. Just like Jonah, I I would go to Nineveh, but Lord, you might save them. They're not worthy to be saved. Are we shining a light in our community? Jesus tells us that we are salt. How are you living a life? Are you living a life of purity? Putting on display the work of Christ. Serving the world influencing through the power of the gospel 
Are you light? Are you letting the light of Christ shine through you to other people? We're called to live pure lives that reflect God's character so that others may come to know God. This morning, we're, we're going to transition to a time of, of response where we sing once again. And the reason we do this is because it gives us a time to reflect. It gives us a time to, to let God's Word percolate inside of us. So maybe if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this, this is a time that we set aside so that you can think on the things that you've heard and we hope this morning that you would embrace Christ. And I'll, I'll be down front to, to answer questions that you have. But this is also a time where those who maybe need to repent, maybe you realize that you're living your life as impure salt, mixed with the things of the world, mixed, uh, and I'm not saying that we're not to live in the world, no, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you're realizing, man, I've, my life is so mixed up that I look just like the world. If that's you this morning, then we set this time aside for you to repent. If that looks like you coming down here and kneeling and repenting, good. If that looks like where you are. For others of you, you may, there, there may be some of you here that you're just like, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to do good, to live the Christian life, and I just feel like I'm just making a mess of it. For you, this time is set aside to stop and realize that the only way that you can do this is with God's help. And this time is intended for you just to slow down and say, Lord, please help me be salt. Please help me be light. And maybe there's others of you here this morning that God is giving you some kind of ambition to serve Him in some specific way. And I don't know what that is. This morning, if that's you, use this time to say, Yes, Lord, wherever you lead me, I'll go. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for This time that we have where we can respond to your word. And Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room, wherever, wherever we find ourselves on the, the spectrum, whether there's people here who don't know you, whether there's people here who've known you for a long time and are feel, just feel weary, or maybe there's people here that are struggling, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would make us pure salt so that we could go and win the world to Christ around us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we try to hide our light. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we are so focused on other things that we forget to let our light shine. Lord, we can't do this without your help. We need you, Lord. 
Come and help us this morning in Jesus' name.